Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. What a privilege it is today to be in God's house. I, uh, man, it's sweet in here today. Thankful today for each and every one of you that came to the house of the Lord. We greet you today in Jesus' name. I want to be talking today, today and next Sunday on a two-part series on a topic that I believe the Lord has led me to. I don't know if you'll call this teaching, preaching, somewhere in between, bad, good, I really don't know. But I want to do my best to try to impart to you what I feel like the Lord would have for us to, to hear today. I give honor to my bishop and... Uh, his wife, it's already been said this morning a couple of times, but I'm so thankful to be able to honor her today with a happy birthday. If it were not for my mother-in-law, I would be a lonely bachelor. So thankful for her, thankful for our pastor. Give honor to him, and it is a, a high honor to be asked to stand before you in his absence. Uh, I count that double honor. The life and times of Moses were very colorful. I I often think of Moses in this way. Moses spent the first 40 years of his life figuring out who he didn't want to be. He spent the next 40 years of his life being trained for who he needed to be. And then he spent the next 40 years of his life, man, I hope I get three sets of 40. (laughs) Amen. He spent the next set of his 40 years fulfilling the calling of God. And he makes something very clear to us in his life and the pattern that he set before us. And that is that each and every one of us have to make a choice. There is simply no way around that. Now we can, we can color it, we can lie to ourselves, we can, uh, boy it sounds like I'm really coming out the gate negative here this morning, and that's, that's not my intentions, but we, we can do all kinds of things to try to make the picture of our life look the way that we think it should look. But at the end of the day, it's just you and God. Beyond the noise, beyond the excuses, beyond the reasons, beyond everything. Yeah, as a a man in this church, I am accountable to my pastor. I'm accountable to my bishop. 
to a certain extent, I'm accountable to you. If we're honest. But at the end of the day, when all is said and done and I stand before God, I believe those things matter. But at the end of it all, it's just me and Him. God knows Jerry Mason more than anybody. My wife's a close second. He knows when I'm telling the truth. He knows whenever I'm trying to cover it up. He knows when my excuse is just that. So each of us have a choice. Moses had a choice. And I'm taking my time this morning on purpose so I don't want anybody to get nervous. Moses had a choice. Moses had probably what could be defined as the best of the best. He had it all. Before he ever even really understood who he was, he had it all. The best education, the best clothes, the best palace to live in, the best food, the best girls. He had everything. And if we put this in modern day terms, he had the best cars, the best job, the best money, the best insurance, the best benefits. He had everything you could possibly want. And one day he was faced with a decision through discovery that Moses, you're living a lie because you're not one of them. The people whose backs you're instructing others to beat, that's your blood. Now, to put this in context this morning, it would almost be, I have, I have heard stories of this, I have seen this with my own eyes. I have seen through uh, the, the, the lens of humanity, I have seen the difference that you can go from one border and you cross it, the difference that life is. If you ever travel to southern Texas and see life there as the stereotypical American, and cross the border into Mexico, you can see an immediate difference in life. Immediate. It don't, it, don't, it don't take but a few feet. It's immediate. Moses, I, I kind of think of Moses in that same reflection. He, he has a choice to make, and there is no middle ground. There is no art of the compromise. It's, it's everything that he has, and then the pendulum swings all the way over to possibly at that moment the poorest of the poor because they were slaves. Keep what I'm happy with in my flesh or take on the call of God. That was his choice. Now, we're fairly comfortable talking about the story of Moses 
whenever we keep it about Moses. Amen. And how he walked away from everything. Have you ever noticed how it's all right for some people, it's all right for people to worship God, it's all right for people to accept the call of God when it's them and not you? I'll be honest with you this morning. I have been guilty in my lifetime of sitting and listening to missionaries on foreign soil and saying, thank you, Lord, that that's not me. I'll give an extra 10 next Sunday. Thank you. Because sometimes it's all right. Again, if we're honest with ourselves, if, if we're not then, then you're, you're probably sitting in judgment of me this morning. But if we're honest with ourselves today, it's all right for, it's all right for Bishop to walk away from his bivocational situation and accept the call of God to be a full-time pastor years ago. But God don't ask me to do that. Because some of us have convinced ourselves that God doesn't look at you that way. That you can't do that for God, or, or anything for God for that matter. So we're comfortable talking about it whenever it's someone else. I want to talk to you today about things to let go of. Things to let go of. We, we understand that Moses walked away from what he knew as family to heed the call of God in his life. And it's okay because it's not us. What we are typically, in our humanity, all right, in our humanity, what we're not okay with is hearing that God expects us to make similar changes. Kind of rubs the wrong way sometimes. We're not okay typically with hearing that we're not always right and that God wants me to change. Or hearing that our perception or rightness or correctness does not always equal God's perception. Hearing that God expects us to put Him, watch me now, before family. Now soak that one in just real good on a Sunday morning. God not only desires, but He expects, if you're going to walk a Christian walk, God expects you to put him before your husband, before your wife, before your children. Be well, it's getting quieter in here. Before your grandchildren. What, what, do you, what do you mean before? That they are not more important than he is. Well, why, why is that? Because I'm a family man, and there's nothing more important to me than my family. You'll never be the family man God designed you to be until you put the lover first. For the Bible declares that God is love, and you do not know how to love your family right until you have God first, family second. Family first has to be with the understanding that God is first. 
But we're not often okay with hearing that because it's not what I want to hear. Sometimes we're not okay with hearing that God values obedience over excuses. Or that He might not be as understanding as we make Him out to be. Oh Lord, help us. I believe that we serve a very understanding God. I believe we serve a God of grace and a God of mercy. But you know what the Bible also calls Him? They always, the Bible also calls Him great and terrible. He might just not be somebody to reckon with. God help us that if, if He's not as understanding as we make Him out to be, then what's that mean for us? I can't answer that today. I'm just provoking your thinking this morning. So sometimes things start to get a tad uncomfortable for us when we start declaring, declaring that God's Word is more than a fairy tale. God's Word is meant for each and every one of us. And when that declaration goes against our personal agendas, we start feeling like a worm in hot ashes. It starts getting uncomfortable. I've been thinking on this and pondering on this because for the last week it has been echoing in my mind and in my, my ears, in my spirit. Bishop, it's been echoing for me something that, 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 that Brother Freddie Harris made a statement to this church. It's been several years now. It was after we had moved from Kingsburg to Mount Carmel and, you know, we were kind of living on top of the mountain at the moment. And we were living on, on top of cloud nine, uh, 90 to 100 plus people fairly consistently. We would hit higher than that on special occasions. God was good. God was great. Not taking anything away from any of that. But he made a statement. He said, not everybody that moves to Mount Carmel with you is going to stay with you. I remember myself thinking, well, you're kind of killing my buzz here just a little bit, Brother Harris. You know, we're on cloud nine right now. I don't know that that's what we need to hear. Several years later, I recognized that the words the man spoke were true. If you don't believe that, look around. I'm not here declaring doom today that it has to be that way. What I'm saying is, is not everybody that says amen believes. I believe the Bible even goes as far to say not everybody that says Lord, Lord is going to enter in. So, we, we have to be careful. We have to be careful with this sense of, I believe in the sense of community uh, completely with all of my heart but we have to be careful believing that just because somebody says amen they're saved and everything's great sometimes I say oh man because I don't want to say oh me and I think if I say oh man and somehow God will seal it in my heart then maybe, maybe I'll be open and receptive to him there's virtue in that just think about it but we live in a day that culture is desensitizing or sensitizing, depends on how you want to look at it, 
culture is putting us in a position where everybody, man, I'm, I'm trying to stay as apolitical as I can today, but culture is putting us in a position where we, people, not we, but people are trying so hard not to offend that they offend. So I'll, I'll tell you today, I'll, I'll declare it to you boldly that when men of God get up behind this pulpit and they boldly declare the Word of God, you're not always going to like it. <clears throat> even, even, even those of us that have been serving God for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, dare I even say 50, those of us that have served, been serving God for enough years to reach a certain level of perceived maturity, we're not always going to like what we hear because what you hear in this building, what you hear in the church, will be, make no, make no mistake about it, will be counter to pop culture. It will be counter to your news media. It will be counter to your politicians' ideologies. And that will inevitably cause some of us to get uncomfortable because we get all this junk piped into our mind, into our heart, into our spirit, and then we come to church and we hear a polar opposite of that. I'm like, oh, pastor really missed it today. No, 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 no. No, he didn't. If we're not careful, we did. Uncomfortable doesn't mean it's wrong. You have to understand context, and we need to have an understanding of what is being said. God's Word, the Bible says, and I believe in my heart today that this might be the reason. It might be. I'm not saying it is, but it might be the reason why this Scripture is in there. But the Bible tells us that God's Word is forever settled in heaven. Forever settled. It means it doesn't, doesn't matter what my favorite actor says. It doesn't matter what my favorite comedian says. It doesn't matter what my favorite singing group says. If it's counter to what God's Word says, God's Word is already settled. It doesn't need help. It doesn't need any assistance from me. It doesn't need me retransliterating what I think it was supposed to say. Just because I'm uncomfortable, there are a few things that I might need to let go of. So we can't, we can't, always, we can't always tell stories like we're in a, a kindergarten Sunday school class. Faithfulness. Commitment. Sacrifice. Giving. Now here's something we need to understand about giving because if we go by pop culture, we should be worried about equal giving. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches equal sacrifice. I can't look at the dollar amount of your 10% against my 10%. It's just 10%. 
If you, if you, if you had a gross, a gross increase on your income of a dollar this week, 10 cents of that goes back to God. If you had a gross increase of $1,000 this week, $100 of that goes back to God. Both of you gave the same amount. Giving. Change. Change. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, change. I'm not talking about pennies and dimes either. Change. It's an uncomfortable word. I, I'll, I'll say it this way. And I, I had this, we'll call it a revelation. I had this revelation recently. I may have even made reference to it the last time I was in this pulpit. But if you've been, if you've been serving God, now this is Jerry Mason 101, all right? This is, this is not the Bible. This is just me. But if you've been, you know, I, I think about it in terms of kindergarten age. If, you're, if you've been serving God less than five years, then, then you, you still need some tutoring and some help. All right? But if you've been serving God longer than five years, five years or more, and the reason why I go with that kindergarten analogy is because it's at that point you're, you're mature enough and you're old enough to start raising your hands and asking some questions. We're teaching kids at five years old how to think for themselves. Let me tell you something. If a five-year-old can pick up a gun, they can pick up a Bible. They're just not being taught to. If they can pick up an iPad or a remote and figure it out, then they can pick up a kid's version Bible and they can start learning some things. We should not leave our children's teaching, behavior, and education of the Word of God to your Sunday school class. If Sunday's the only day they're hearing the Word of God, that's wrong. And when I rehearsed this in my mind, it wasn't quite this in your grill. But we get uncomfortable with change. So my, my point is this. If you've been serving God for longer than five years, I'm telling you today, it is not God's will for you to continue to come to church and do nothing but just come to church. Amen. God wants from you. God expects from you and me. When I say you, I'm talking to me too. God expects from us faithfulness, commitment, sacrifice, giving, change. I, I, sh I shouldn't be... If I was the same... Let, let me say it this way. If I was the same today at 46 years old... I had to do the math real quick. I'm still 46. There's not a seven... For a few more weeks. If I was the exact same today, Bishop, at 46, as I was when I met you at 12. Think about it. Do you think I'd be standing behind this pulpit today? My mother-in-law said no real fast. Likely not. Because you expect growth and change, especially from those that lead you. Don't we expect that? I expect that. So why can't that be expected of you when we serve the same God? So we get uncomfortable.
Matthew, let me bring you some scripture and make everybody loosen up just a little bit. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 21, the Bible says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people, everybody say, from? From their sins. Now the wording is very important and it's very specific. The Bible never declares that we're saved in our sin. There is no biblical influence that asserts that you can come to God, get saved, quote unquote, and if you're listening today, that's air quotes, but get saved and continue to do all the things that you were just doing. He came to save us from, from, when I'm, when I'm taking something out of the refrigerator or the cabinet, maybe it's a bowl of cereal, I'm going to the cabinet to get my, my, my number one uh, favored cereal, and I told you, don't, don't ask me what it is, it's none of your business. <clears throat> But when I'm going, I'm pulling that from the cabinet. I'm not going to fit in the cabinet. I'm taking it from. I'm bringing it to me. You see how that works? When you sit at the table to eat, you're bringing it to you. You're taking it from the plate. I know this is elementary today, but I'm not a deep guy. We'll stay shallow for a moment. We're taking it from the plate. Jesus took us from our sins with the intent to bring us closer to Him. He's taken us from the world to Him. From the sin to Him. From the alcohol to Him. From the drugs to Him. Amen? So the plan of salvation never, never, never calls for us to stay the same. Just, it just doesn't do it. Never calls for us to stay the same. Just attend church. Clap our hands. Say amen. I'm not making fun. But that's as deep as some of us get. And what I'm trying to bring your attention to this morning, I'm not trying to be critical or judgmental, but what I'm trying to bring your attention to is that God's got more for you than that. Coming, the, the intent and purpose of coming in church is not to go home warm and fuzzy. Again, it's an error. It, it is a mistake to compare what pop culture says. Your expectations should be about your church. The reason I am here today, the reason I am here when the church is open, is not because anybody expects me to. Now, I want, I want that to sink in because I do think that there is a virtue in obligation and accountability and I think when you're at the end of your rope I think if nothing else can help you hang on then the expectation that somebody needs you there or wants you there or expects to see you there 
then God bless that virtuously and let you hang on. All right? So I am not talking against that. But what I am saying is it has to be more than that. The reason I am here is not because you expect me to be. It's not because uh, the pastor is my brother-in-law. It's not because my bishop's my father-in-law. It's not because my dad was a pastor. I, I was standing in presence. You know, sometimes people can be so rude and crude and ignorant. I remember as a, as a, I wasn't a child, I was a teenager, but I remember standing in present company. Uh, you know, I was always taught there's certain things that you just don't say around your kids. People aren't taught that anymore. And that's a shame. I'll get off my soapbox because that has nothing to do with what I'm saying. But there was somebody talking to my parents, Brother Fred, and they were, uh, they, they were, they were not churchgoers. And if anything, they were anti-church. They, 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 they loved God, but they was going to love God from a distance. And uh, I remember them mocking my parents in front of me, saying, well, you just wait till he gets old enough. You just wait till he's 18 and he does what he wants to do. He may go to church now because you, you make him... But you just wait till he's old enough. That made me so mad. I, st- I don't remember who it was, but I still remember the occasion. And inside I thought, how dare you? It was a little personal for me. Because I had my own walk with God. But what happened when I got old enough to make my own decisions... My decisions were based on what God wanted for me because my parents made me go to church. Now, the last 20 minutes hasn't even hardly been in my notes today, so I'm I'm really just following after, after God this morning. So just bear with me. But pop culture will teach you that uh, you, you can't make your children do anything. It's bad for their sensitivities. You're going to hurt their feelings. That's the dumbest. I'll stop with that adjective. The dumbest thing I've ever heard. And you will not find anything in the Word of God that supports a parent not being a parent. Not just about coming to church and being warm and fuzzy and smiling and patting each other on the back. I've, I've, got, I've got a kingdom to get to. That's not of this world. I can come to church and leave feeling warm and fuzzy. But feeling good does not mean I'm saved. But you can't be saved and not feel good about it. So if you want to feel good, really good, get as close to him as you can. Let's talk about Moses just a little bit more before I get myself in trouble. God led Moses and his people to a mountain called 
Sinai. I think pastors preached preached on uh, on this quite a bit lately, and that's that's not why I'm I'm in this point. But on top of Sinai, God gave Moses the law, gave him the tabernacle plan. After this, God led His people directly to the land of promise. The promised land. I'm summarizing. The promised land is full of enemies that God would deliver into the hands of His people. God gave Moses instructions. He sent out spies to search the land of Canaan. He sent 12 men, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, into the land of Canaan, the promised land, to search it out. 12 men that we need to make note of. Two of these men were Joshua and Caleb. I turn your attention now to Numbers chapter 13. And I want you to look and see what these 12 spies were instructed to do. Numbers 13 and verse 17. The Bible says, And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. And said unto them, Get you up this way southward and go up into the mountain and see the land. So they were to spy the land, see the land. What it is and the people that dwelleth therein. Whether they be, talking about the people that's in the land, whether they be strong or weak, few or many, and what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds. Verse number 20, and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not, this is quite a few things to look at in their their spy journey, and be of good courage and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. Now, Very specific instructions that Moses gave by the order of God to these 12 men that were to be this kind of this spy union of guys to go and do this. Specifically, they were to see what the land was like. See where there are few and where there are many people. See what kind of land they live in whether it was good land or bad land. See what kind of cities they live in. Are they walled and fortified or are they just villages and tents? To see where they are, where they are weak and where they are strong. In other words, the concept was to get enough information <clears throat> to strategize how they were going to conquer the promised land. That was it. That was the mission. They were to return with the design of the land and its inhabitants so they could plan their attack. Now listen, you're not going to send 5,000 soldiers up against a village of 100 people. It's just not how it works. You're not going to send 100 people up against 5,000. I mean, not unless, not unless God says so. I know he did that once. All right, but without God saying so in your natural planning, you're putting your tactical plan together, that's not how we think. 
I want to make sure I've got plenty of people to do the job. It's important today, ladies and gentlemen, to note what God did not instruct them to do. They were not told to go and see if they could conquer. They were told to go and see how. There's a difference. There's a difference in being asked, can you do it? And being asked, how are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? Implies, I've got faith in you that you know that you know you can. How you're going? To, how are you going to do it? Implies, I've got faith that you know what you're doing. I expect you to do it. That's the implication. I expect you to do it. I'm just asking you, how are you going to do it? How are you going to cook? Those brownies, Brother Malone, implies he knows, he knows how to answer the question. It implies he might have a little bit of experience cooking brownies. Now, I've never eaten his brownies, but they look good. We'll just say that, all right? And if there's any of his brownies on the table back there, buy them. Buy them. Buy them up. Eat them. They're good. He says so. But asking the question how implies he has the knowledge of knowing. It does not say, are you sure you can do it? It's two different things. It's two different things. They were told, go get the information. And they came back and they said, hold the phone, we can't do it. Wait, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, sirs. You misunderstood the assignment. That's right. They misunderstood the assignment. But one man, Caleb, says, Silence. We should go up now because we are capable of doing this. But the other men said, We are in our own sight as grasshoppers. And because, verse number 33, I'm skipping there, Brother Zach. Verse number 33, the Bible says, And there we saw the giants, watch this, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Who told him what they looked like in their sight? They didn't have a conversation with these giants. But because instead of taking a how posture, they've taken a, a we can't do it posture. Self-esteem's gone. Confidence is gone. And now the assumption is, because I see myself small, everybody else sees me small. Anybody listening to me this morning? So our first thing, Lord, I'm only going to get to the first one. Our first thing today that we need to let go of 
is doubt and disobedience. Because the two go hand in hand. Doubt will lead you to disobey. It's not like these guys hadn't seen what God could do. In the two-year span leading up to this, God had punished the most powerful nation on earth at that time with ten plagues. He had brought a mighty Egyptian nation to its knees before tiny little bitty Israel. He had freed them from bondage. He had led them through the Red Sea. Not just through, but on dry ground. He had drowned an Egyptian army in three inches of water. He had led them through the wilderness. Mistake after mistake after mistake, he led them through. He was faithful. He gave water to drink for three to six million people. He gave them bread daily. It just rained from heaven. And now all he's asked, they've witnessed all this. You would think, now when I'm a reader of this, I get a little judgmental. And I think to myself when I'm reading this, well, good grief, how much more does God need to prove to you that He's going to help you? But then whenever I get out of my robe of judgment and I look at it uh, with, with perspective, I understand that we're not much different. God help us. We can be just the same. We've seen the miracles of God. We've heard the stories. We've, wit we've witnessed a lot in this church. Lord have mercy if you've been around for the last couple decades. We we've seen a few things. Some good, some, oh God. <laughs> but he's still God. So you would think concrete, the promised land, would pale in comparison to everything God had already done. But 10 out of 12, that's a pretty high percentage. 10 out of 12 come back and said, oh, we can't do it. And I believe that's representative of a group of people here today and in the church at large, maybe even the world at large, is that we feel so inferior to what God has asked us to do. Our, our cry to Him is, is, God, I can't do that. Before entertaining the thought of obedience, our first thought is, is not me. God, I can't do that. I can't do that because of this, 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 this. And in the eyes of carnality, they may be good, justifiable conditions. But we need to let go of doubt. <clears throat> And disobedience. Some people, I have learned, will have an excuse or reason for everything. And I'm not, I'm not here to try to change you. That's, that's God's job. What I am here to say, though, is that I believe with all of my heart, by the word of God, that His expectation of us sometimes, many times, is to get beyond the excuse and just simply say yes. Yes can be such a hard word to say. 
hard word. Yes can make us tremble. Yes can make the hand shake. Can make the voice quiver with nervousness. Put it in perspective for you. How many would like to volunteer to teach next Sunday morning? Look around. Go ahead, look around. There's not one hand raised. Except mine. I was illustrating. I wasn't volunteering, I was illustrating. See? Some of you thought I was joking. But even if you knew I was serious, some of you would, many of you would not have raised your hands. Oh, I can't do that. <clears throat> Years ago when we were in our first church, I may have done it another occasion too. I think I did it in the second church. Actually, I think I've done it in every church. In our youth group, just the people were different. Faces and names changed. But every, seemed like every generation I taught or every group of people I taught, at least once, I used to do it annually a long time ago. And it, man, I loved it. It was one of my favorite times. I would have every student in the class take a week to teach. What I learned from that, I learned a whole lot from it, that is most people think they can't. I can't do it. And the more you say no, the easier it is to believe. Graceland said that's right. Stand with me. We need to let go of doubt and disobedience. We're going to pick up from here next week. But I want to challenge you today to... You've heard the, you've heard the old adage, Rome wasn't built overnight. Everybody's probably heard that. It's got a lot of good meaning behind it. Meaning, don't, don't, expect to, don't expect to run when you don't walk. You've you got to build up. I didn't start out my walk with God behind a pulpit. I actually started it out as a five-year-old singing in front of everybody on Sunday mornings. No, my wife was not my junior choir teacher. <clears throat> We were almost young enough, but not quite. Started out right here. Wasn't this church building, but it was the left side of the podium. Started out right here. We did it a little differently. Wasn't in the 70s, there wasn't a lot of group singing like that. Wasn't, a, wasn't called a junior choir, but all of us kids stood there, and every one of us, got an opportunity to sing. So I started out as a five-year-old with a microphone in my hand, singing. I got comfortable with that. And then the next thing I was challenged to do made me as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. I just... I, I can't do it. But then when I did it, 
I started getting comfortable with that. And then the next thing, Brother Fred made me a nervous wreck. And then I started getting comfortable with that. You've heard the stories of how Bishop refused, refused that he was a preacher. Matter of fact, if I've got my dates and everything right in my head, my family can correct me later. But if I've got it all right in my head, I believe the very first time that I met him, he had not yet publicly declared his ministry. That's, that's a day or two ago. Fast forward to today. Look what all's happened in his life. Do you know why that happened? Now, I can hear some of you. I, I, hear, I hear some of you right now. You're saying, well, that happened because he's bishop. You, you just summarized three decades incorrectly. The reason that happened is because a man, I say that respectfully, but a man, not unlike any of you, finally said, I'm not here today to say that you're called to be a preacher. That's not my point. If that's what you got out of this, then I did a really bad job. But you're called to do something. Let, let, me, let me say it a little bit further, and I know you're standing, and I thank you for that. But You're called to do something other than just warm a church pew. You. Look at your neighbor this morning and say, I'm talking to you. I'll say it with more boldness than that. Look at him. Point your bony finger at him and say, I'm talking to you. Now I want you to look up and say, God. Oh, some of you are so nervous about what I'm getting ready to say. Come on now. God. That's me. You're not going, here, here's, what, here's where I'm getting at, and I'm, I'm landing the plane, I promise you. But whenever I tell you we need to let go of doubt and disobedience, it's an error on your part and my part to think that that's going to be accomplished by tomorrow. We set our bar so high sometimes that every time we fail reaching it, and then we just think, oh, I can't do it. We need to understand today. I want us to develop understanding today. The prophet in the Old Testament talked about understanding. I want to talk about understanding for just a moment. We need to understand that certain things, if you've got a lifetime of saying no, one yes doesn't change everything. You say yes to a small thing. And then you say yes to the next thing. And then you say yes to the next thing. Your first yes, for some of you, your first yes might be clapping your hands. Because I can still remember as a child and as a preteen 
the first time I ever clapped my hands in church. And one of the rudest, most obnoxious adults I think I've ever met in my life went, Now you talk about it now, I've, I've, I was not born too bashful and it's probably a good thing. But you talk about a, an, an action that could make somebody not want to do something. Is to call so much attention to them for it? Come on. You say yes. And then you say yes. You develop a lifestyle of saying yes to God by saying yes to the small things. And then, yes, it doesn't happen overnight. But I can tell you that there is a blessing in believing and obeying. There's a blessing in, in believing and obeying. Lift your hands with me. Let's thank the Lord for his word today. God, seal it in our hearts. <clears throat> Draw us close to you. God, for every person here that has developed a lifestyle and made a, made a habit out of saying no because of doubt and, doubt and disbelief, God, that has led them to disobedience to you, I pray for them today that you would comfort them, Lord, with an attitude of yes. Baptize us today with a willingness to obey, Lord, and to get out of our comfort zones as you see fit. Give us the strength. I know, God, that you're never going to ask us to do anything, that you're not going to be there to help us. We need your guidance and your anointing today. Bless your people today. God, we thank you. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.